Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He is a Virginia Tech grad and Notre Dame fan. Mike, first question, there was some pretty entertaining football in the ACC this weekend, yeah? Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, games were super good, Joey, across the conference. Like A lot of games that maybe we didn't expect to be quite as good as they were were still super awesome. And also, disclaimer real quick, I'm playing a road game this week, so if the audio doesn't really stand up to par or what everybody would expect it to be, that's why. So promise that next week will be better. But um, yeah, I'm in sunny San Diego, Joey, so so far so good here on my end. Well, that sounds terrible. I feel bad for you. Um, yeah, you're, you're playing a road game this week. It's kind of a weird juxtaposition. I'm used to being one, uh, you know, on business trips, but... Uh, this week, you are resuming world traveler status. Uh, we, we established last year as, yeah, you're in sunny San Diego. Seems pretty nice outside. I, I got a look outside the window earlier before we started, and, man, it's making me jealous being here in hot, muggy, nasty Houston. So, uh, in any case, we got to get through some of these games here from week six. It was a great week in the ACC. Uh, the big headliner game, Mike, number 13, Miami, 24. The Florida State Seminoles 20. This was a hell of a game. I, I hope you got to watch it. Um, this was, man, this was just everything that this rivalry game has turned out to be. Um, it, just last-minute drama, all sorts of physicality, um, lots of emotions running high on both sides. This game was 3 to nothing Florida State at halftime. Um, the defenses really, told, really just ran the thing in the first half. Uh, they come back in the second half. Miami really starts moving the ball well. Uh, Florida State's defense steps up and answers the challenge. And um, it comes down to it. They're, they're down uh, 17-13. James Blackman makes a beautiful throw uh, to convert a touchdown. I, I think it was on a third or fourth down um, to Auden Tate with about a minute and 20 remaining. And at that point, I, I looked down. I thought, man, he might have left too much time on the clock. Sure enough, he did. Miami marched the ball right down the field. They're setting up for a field goal, take one last shot at the end zone, and Malik Rozier completes it uh, as Miami scores a a last-second touchdown to win and break the curse of the Seminoles. I had the Knowles win in this game. That did not come true. It damn near did, but, you know, as it would happen, uh, the, the rivalry happened. Miami breaks the curse. And uh, this is about as exciting and emotional of a win as you're going to see for Miami fans here. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I think the one major thing I noticed about this whole game is like how up and down it was for Malik Rozier in Miami. Malik Rozier obviously did not get off to the best of starts in the first half. Miami was really struggling as a team to move the football in that half. As you mentioned, 3 and nothing at the break. It was a different Malik Rozier in the second half. I thought he played extremely well. Um, the numbers don't tell the entire story. As, it, as he was 19 of 44 for 254 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. 
but I think the one encouraging thing about this game, if you're a Miami fan, is you were able to find a way to win without Mark Walton being 100%. And, you know, a lot of Miami fans now are freaking out because Mark Walton now is in a spot where he's not going to be healthy the rest of the year. He's having surgery on his ankle. It's a testament to how bad it really was in that football game for him. You could tell he wasn't right, but... You know, if you're Miami, you can be happy you got past a really tough defense without Mark Walton being a full go. And if you can take that and carry it through the rest of the season, Miami should still be in good shape. Yeah, uh, that's a huge loss for a Miami offense that was really leaning on Mark Walton before. Uh, Braxton Berrios had a huge day. He made several catches in huge moments. Uh, Amon Richards made a pretty big impact on the game. The, the thing that stuck out to me, Mike, was James Blackman, how uh, very inconsistent he is kind of for better and worse. Um, there were a lot of moments in this game where he just looked like a freshman. He looked kind of lost, you know, wasn't making good reads, didn't really know when to get out of the pocket, wasn't using his legs very well, wasn't making great throws. And then all of a sudden in about the fourth quarter, he looks like, you know, a five-star type of recruit that's out there making every throw and, and just feeling it. Um, he was excellent late in the game and was not very good otherwise um cam Akers had a huge day 20 carries for 121 yards he had a few just you know real big broken runs um he kind of gave that big play uh element to florida state's offense that they needed uh like you said malik rozier was okay um you know he got it done in the clutch obviously that was ultimately what happened but up until that point wasn't ideal so, you know, there's plenty you could or could not take away from this game for either team. Florida State at 1-3, and three, I'm going to just go out on a limb and say they're probably the best 1-3 and three team in the country. <laughs> uh, they've, they've had a rough stretch of teams they've had to play. Their losses are to ranked teams, every single one of them. Um, and really the only one that wasn't anywhere close was Alabama. And nobody's going to fault them for losing to Alabama in a game that kind of got away from them late in special teams and such. So... I think Florida State still can finish the season fairly well. We're going to talk later about, you know, kind of some bowl team projection updates with the ACC, and, and I think Florida State is still one of them. But for now, they, they still are at one and three, and, uh, you know, this is a huge win for Miami. And, yeah, Joey, I've been saying this for weeks, but Florida State is going to be a much more dangerous team in November than they are right now as James Blackman continues to get comfortable uh, you saw him kind of start to get comfortable as this game progressed, and he played well in big moments in this football game, and I think he'll take that confidence and carry it with him throughout the rest of the season for Florida State. But huge victory for Miami in this rivalry. They really needed to get that monkey off their back, and, you know, they are the favorites in the Coastal Division, I guess. You know, they were the preseason favorites anyway, but interested to see how they react now without, without Mark Walton in the fold moving forward. Mike, I can't say that we've had anybody on this podcast that was as passionate about their team as Cam Underwood is about Miami. Uh, we had him on the preview show here to talk about this game, and we would be remiss if we did not bring him on to uh, give his thoughts post-game. So uh, we caught up with him a little bit earlier. Uh, let's, let's take a listen to Cam's thoughts as to how this game all turned out for a huge, huge win for Miami and, and uh, breaking the streak in this series, as it were. And after a huge win this Saturday by his Miami Hurricanes, none other than Mr. Cam Underwood rejoins the program. Cam, you, you talked about all the emotion and all the physicality of this game, you know, what it typically is year in, year out. This year it obviously delivered in a huge way. It was a crazy ending, an exciting game through and through. 
walk me through your experience and how this game went for you, just watching it as a fan that is obviously so invested in one of the teams that was playing. Yeah, it was uh, it was crazy, you know, and it lived up to a lot of what we said leading up to the game that, you know, regardless of record, Florida State was going to bring it and they're going to be, you know, they're a very talented team, a very athletic team and a prideful team, you know, and the streak of winning seven in a row had its own like tangible presence, you know, uh, and it, it, it bore out that way. You know, the first half on offense for Miami was the dregs of the earth. And that's actually disrespectful to the dregs of the earth for how bad the offense was. I mean, you know, yeah, 34 yards passing on four for 16 from Malik Rozier. You had 57 total yards of offense. I want to say, um, just nothing was going well. There's no passing there. You know, receivers were dropping balls. Offensive linemen were missing blocks. You know, Mark Walton was obviously hobbled and not able to really take advantage of the few holes that there were because Florida State's defense is very, very strong. And I don't want to take anything away from them. But yeah, I mean, our defense for Miami played very strong in the first half, seven tackles for loss, three sacks. Uh, you know, the Defensive backs and linebackers did well in the passing game. Linebackers and defensive backs over-pursued in the run game, which is why you saw Florida State hit a couple uh, long runs in the first half, including the first play of the game for 34 yards, which is like, what are you doing? Like, this is not a thing that we're supposed to be giving up as as a hurricane. So, you know, 3 nothing in the half. Uh, you know, some Florida State fans I saw on Twitter were talking about, oh, hey, it feels like Miami's leading 10-3 to or 21-7. to or, No, it doesn't. It feels like Florida State's leading 3 to nothing. Like, there's no need to be revisionist about it. There's no need to be, you know, hyperbolic about it. Like, Florida State leads. It's been a poorly played game on both sides of the ball. But, yeah, you know, so that was kind of my it, thoughts at halftime. You know, I did say that I wanted a, a change on the offense. And, you know, I'm, I'm good for quickly saying, hey, I want, you know, a different quarterback. But, you know, maybe that was emblematic of just something has to be different because 25% completions for 1.9 yards per pass attempt is not going to win at Florida State. I'm sorry. So, you know, whether it's a personnel change or a performance and, you know, just execution, whatever it is, it just needed to change. Um, so we did that. Uh, I was over at my buddy's house, uh, you know, so we we're drinking beers and we changed from uh, these wonderful uh, craft brew from Civil Society Brewing in Florida. So he had a couple different things and, you know, growler cans. He called them crowlers and got in a fight with somebody on Twitter about it. And we switched from those because they ran out because, you know, we're drinking a lot because, hello, like this game needed, you know, stress relief. And we switched to like something that was kind of just average, you know, and he tweeted it out to half. He's like, you know, we just switched from good beer to average beer and Miami's losing to Florida State. And it feels like every other year. And that's what it felt like. Yeah, so Miami comes out in the third quarter after our halftime hiatus, you know, switching beers and going to the bathroom and getting a little bite to eat. And they did a lot better. Come down on the right on the first drive, uh, tie the game with a field goal, get a touchdown a little bit later, uh, you know, and go to the fourth quarter with the lead, which is where you want to be going into, you know, any game really, but definitely at Florida State. Fourth quarter was just a knockout drag out fight. It was just back and forth. Uh, you know, you started seeing some attrition uh, physically from the teams. Navon Donaldson got hurt on the same play. Mark Walton got hurt and went out for the game and ended up actually being out for the year because of that injury. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, Sheldrick Redwine had some kind of injury, maybe a concussion syndrome thing. I have no idea, but uh, yeah, so he left out and his replacement, Robert Knowles, came in and uh, did not perform well. 
Uh, he blew the coverage on both of Florida State's fourth quarter touchdowns, including one with a minute 18 left. And, uh, you know, if we're talking about my thoughts and feelings as a fan, it was, you know, here we go again. You know, uh, Jaquan Johnson dropped the interception, a player two before that last touchdown from James Blackman to Auden Tate. And, you know, I said it to my buddy, but I didn't tweet it at the time. I said, we're going to lose this game. Um, and not wishing pessimism on on the Hurricanes or anything, but we've seen this movie before. And like I was talking about with the streak having its own life, that's what it felt like. Like, beyond all odds, with a team that is not as good as Miami's, you know, even though they're talented and things like that, uh, yeah, there's... They found a way against all odds, it seemed like, for Florida State. Um, and we've been in this position, Miami, the last few years against Florida State in the fourth quarter, uh, looking for a drive to go win and have somebody make a play and find glory, and we're unable to do that. But this year, we did it. Um, Malik Rozier to Braxton Berrios, who had two touchdowns in the second half. Uh, he hit the Jeremy Shockey arms out, uh, Jesus pose, if you will, after his first one. Uh, it was awesome. On the final drive, Travis Homer, the backup running back, who's now going to start, I guess, uh, had two runs for like 24 yards and two first downs, uh, got out of bounds on these plays. So did Braxton Barrios on a huge third and 10 where he ran a little whip route uh, and got around his defender, who just is not good enough to cover him. And that was proven out across the whole day because Braxton Barrios had eight catches for like 90-something yards, two touchdowns, and was ACC wide receiver of the week. So, like, you know, that's kind of just proven fact. Um and then the last play was just, it, that was legendary, where Daryl Langham from Santa Lucia's or Lake Worth High School in South Florida, uh, Palm Beach County, played two plays on Saturday. And they were the last two plays of the game, including the last play in which he went up over Tarvis McFadden, All-American, mossed him, jumped over him, caught that ball, turned. McFadden tried to make a game-saving tackle and couldn't, and Langham goes and scores 24-20, Miami Hurricanes win, and I was at my buddy's house, and he has a townhouse, you know, condo, and his neighbors, like, heard me through the walls. I mean, I would, I'm not going to do this to your eardrums right now in the in this podcast, but boy, let me tell you, uh, as a trained vocalist who has been singing my entire life with good air support and projection, man, it was loud, <laughs> um, and it, it, it was just, it was awesome, like, it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing to see, uh, you know, it was just validation. You know, it's, it's proof positive that this program is headed in the right direction. I don't care that Florida State is down. We still beat Florida State, which is something we had not done. So uh, it was really the kind of gambit of emotions. And if you go back on my Twitter feed at the State of the U, scroll down to, you know, from game day uh, on Saturday, you'll see. I mean, there were times when I was very critical of things that were going on. And I was very, you know, happy and elated about, the you know, the, the high points as well. But, man, it was, a, it was a roller coaster ride. And at the end, you know, the Miami Hurricanes finally got that win that we needed uh, against Florida State. Uh, and it was just awesome, man. I'm not going to lie to you, Cam. When, uh, when James Blackman threw that touchdown pass about a minute and 20 left, I had two thoughts. First of all, my first thought was, no way this is happening again. Like, I, I could not believe what I was watching, and I'm sure you were about in the same place. Uh, my second thought was, I think they might have scored too fast. And sure enough, they did. Uh, they left a little bit of time on there, and like you said, Malik Rozier drives that team down the field, and uh, they took one last shot rather than trying to play it safe and set up the field goal, and it came out worth it. You know, they didn't need a field goal, and uh, Miami comes away big winners here. 
I, I will throw out there, though, Cam, I think one of the more impactful uh, kind of results of this game was the loss of Mark Walton. You've mentioned it a couple times. Uh, Mark Walton left this game with an injury late. Uh, he came in on kind of a bad wheel. He's had some ankle issues over the last few weeks. Uh, come to find out, Mark Walton is now done for the season. He's having a season-ending ankle surgery. Uh, and he won't play anymore this year. And now, as you've mentioned, uh, it looks like the starting job is going to Travis Homer, who has been a really big play guy, but has not gotten a, a ton of work, really, in his career. Uh, pretty limited carries in any given game. What does this mean for Miami moving forward? No Mark Walton moving on to, tra- uh, again, Travis Homer. Yeah, I mean, it was huge. Uh, and we wrote, you know, uh, Miami lost a few running backs in the offseason. Gus Edwards transfers closer to home to Rutgers. Uh, Joe Yearby leaves early to go to the NFL. Um, You know, and Anthony McFarland, who had been a silent commit for pretty much the entire 2017 recruiting cycle, flips two days before signing day to his home school, hometown school of Maryland. Uh, Miami was not able to get anybody else. So all of a sudden, you go from a position of depth, talent, and strength to, I mean, paper, paper, paper thin. And in our season preview, you know, I asked the question of our contributors at, at State of the U and said, you know, and I, it was a leading question, of course, because the one answer happens to be Mark Walton, but I said, who's the most indispensable player on this team? The one that you cannot lose or be without, you know, for an extended period of time. And every single response was Mark Walton. Like, I mean, he's the ACC's best running back. He's a top 10 running back in America. And Apart from Travis Homer, who had seven carries in his career entering this year, you had Treyon Gray, who had more carries than that, but is, you know, a talented guy, but hasn't really put it all together at 6'2", 235, with game-breaking speed, but doesn't really run behind his pads and things like that, isn't nimble, really, but if it gets an open space, he's gone. And then Robert Burns, who was a true freshman recruit now, who was so injured that he only played nine plays, or sorry, 11 plays, nine Nine rushes, one catch, and one kick return as a senior in high school. So losing Mark Walton, I mean, and talking about that, that was just going to be huge in a hypothetical sense. And then that became reality, unfortunately. Um, And, you know, Joey did say, uh, yeah, he had an ankle injury, but that was his left ankle that he rolled and tweaked. And he broke, hurt, whatever, and required surgery on his right leg. So I know a lot of Hurricanes fans are saying, man, you know, like, he shouldn't have been playing, and he, you know, exacerbated the injury he already had, and that's just patently, you know, not true. Like, it's the other leg. Now, it happens to be, you know, the second time in recent history that a Miami Hurricanes running back has had his season ended playing Florida State at Florida State, in that Duke Johnson broke his leg in 2013 at Florida State, which ended his season uh, that year, and now Mark Walton, five years later, uh, the same exact kind of thing. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's huge. You know, he's just... A Mark Richt offense wants to run the ball. You know, if you look at his days at Georgia, no Sean Marino and um, Thomas Brown, who's the offensive coordinator here now, you know, when he was in college. And I'm sure the many of Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle, all those guys, that's where he wants to lean on. And you have the talent of a Mark Walton to do that. And this kid was so good catching the ball, he could have been a four-star wide receiver recruit coming out of high school. And you saw his athleticism on that uh, Texas route, that angle route, against Duke when he ran away from Ben Humphreys, who's their best linebacker, and then just had a sideways hurdle over the safety trying to tackle him. You're losing that from the offense now. 
So Homer is an explosive guy. He was a four-star recruit coming out of West Palm Beach, Oxbridge Academy, had several touchdowns of 85, 90, 95, 99 yards in high school. So, uh, and if you saw the Duke game, he had the la Homer had the last touchdown inside zone, one cut up the middle, 40 yards, and you're not going to get him. Uh, very physical kid. Uh, he's 5'11", 195, but plays bigger than that. Uh, he's one of our star gunners on kick and punt coverage, uh, and that's really where his main interaction was as a freshman, but... Yeah, he's going to carry the load now, and, uh, you know, he has the talent. If you've seen the Duke game, he had a couple catches where he broke a couple few tackles, and he gets, you know, a two-yard gain turns into 20, and, you know, I talked about the uh, the touchdown run already. He had those two runs on the final drive against Florida State where he's stepping out of tackles and, you know, running by people, so the talent is there, uh, but if we were paper thin at running back before Walton's injury, I mean, man, it's in a bad spot now. I mean, if Homer you know, tweaks an ankle where he has to miss a quarter, like, it's rough. And, you know, uh, Treyon Gray, he's a redshirt junior coming back off of a knee injury a couple of years ago or last year, and he just needs to step up. Robert Burns is on track for a redshirt because he's not played this year, and we might have to burn that redshirt and hope that his athleticism and talent takes over. And I know he has been very, very injury-prone, but as a sophomore in high school, Robert Burns at the time had the highest spark rating for athleticism training at a Nike training camp thing. And I was there at American Heritage that day and nobody knew who this kid was. And he was just amazing. I mean, just a physical freak, just a beast, uh, 5'11", 210, 15 pounds. I mean, he's big, he's fast, he's quick, he's strong. He just gets injured all the time. Um, and also DJ Dallas is a, he was an athlete in high school. And in that he played multiple positions. He played option quarterback, but he threw the ball as well. Uh, he played running back, wide receiver, safety, kick returner, punt returner. Uh, so a multifaceted athlete, and Miami decided to put him at wide receiver in the spring and just leave him there because he was early enrollee. But at this point, my money is on moving DJ Dallas back to running back and giving him some looks there just because we need bodies at that position. And when you're playing option quarterback in high school, you're basically a running back, which, you know, by the way, is what Cam Akers did in high school. He played single wing quarterback, you know, just ran inverted beer or, you know, read option or whatever. And that's what their offense did. So, you know, I'm not saying that DJ Dallas is Cam Akers. I'm saying, you know, that you've seen players of that same position type in high school be successful at running back. So yeah, those are the guys who are really going to have to step up. And I mean, it's going to be all of the carries that went to Mark Walton are now Travis Homer's. And Travis Homer's carries are going to go, I have nowhere. I, I don't know. Is Maybe it's going to be Trayon Gray. Uh, maybe it's going to be Robert Burns if they burn his red shirt. DJ Dallas has played in every game already, so maybe it's him. And then maybe they just go to, you know, if you remember last year, uh, Miami's offense was heavy on those bubble screens to like David Njoku and Stacey Coley and things like that. Maybe those swing pass type things to be an extension of the run game come back. Uh, you know, so you get the same effect of a run, even if it is a pass play. But yeah, it's a it's a big loss for Miami. Um, you know, heart and soul. He's a captain of this team. Mark Walton's been through a lot. You know, his mother recently passed. Uh, if you remember, uh, two summers ago, um, had a legal interaction where you know he was falsely accused of uh, sexually assaulting a young lady, and then that was dropped uh, because basically it was found out that the police officer knew the young lady and tried to set him up. Uh, to arrest him and all kinds of things. So, you know, Mark Walton is 
uh, yeah, he's been through a lot, man, and he's a, he's a great player, and it's going to be uh, tough to play without him. Obviously, is the the number one running back on this team, both in stature and jersey number. But you know, I'm I'm confident that Travis Homer has the ability and the talent. Uh, we just need to see him do it. Uh, so on the starting level, I think that even if we have a little bit of a dip in production, we'll be okay. It's really that depth of the of the the rotation, the the backup situation that is going to need to be addressed, and hopefully, we'll be able to do that. Cam, the, the recent stigma has been that once Miami loses to Florida State, things fall apart for a while. With that not being an issue at this point, we are kind of in uncharted waters. So uh, we'll, we'll see how Miami reacts from here. But again, without Mark Walton for the year, and uh, we, we said they'll be uh, moving forward with, damn it, I've already forgot his name, Travis Homer. Homer, Travis Homer. I shouldn't forget that. Uh, anyways, Cam, congratulations on the win. A huge, huge win for Miami. I, I trust that you have uh, thoroughly celebrated and continue to do so. You know, it's it's <laughs> going to continue. I walked into work today, um, and I saw a couple Florida State fans. And imagine a Ric Flair woo just turn it up to, like, 57 on your volume dial. And... It's funny, you know, because I have this very distinctive voice. So the the guys at whom I was wooing very, very loudly didn't even turn around. They go, Underwood, just don't even. Because it's, you know, I get to work early. It's 7.30 in the morning. I'm, wow, wow. I mean, just screaming <laughs> from a couple hundred feet away. Uh, and th- they know that. And, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a thing. You know, Florida State fans have had year after year after year to bask in the glory of beating Miami. And they're going to take all of these jokes all of these things, and, you know, even, you know, talking to somebody today uh, on Monday, they're talking about, oh, well, you know, yeah, it's about time. Y'all lost seven, eight years in a row, whatever. And look, when Miami lost, they said, don't talk about the past. It's not about the rings, not about anything else. So I urge Florida State fans to live in the present in that Miami beat y'all 24 to 20. I don't want to hear about moral victories. I don't want to hear about a bad season because we had Al Golden as our coach and Randy Shannon as our coach. You can... If you have that as a rebuttal, it's falling on deaf ears. I don't care. I'm going to say what I have to say. I'm going to laugh in your faces the same way that you did us. And don't talk about, oh, the game doesn't matter. And it's not. Mm -mm -mm." No. Everybody knows that Florida State Miami matters. Everybody knows that it is an impactful game for whatever reason. So, yeah, I am going to be um, turned up to 100 until next year. And hopefully next year we win again and we'll be able to continue this. But I, yeah, I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to be loud, proud, strong, and confident in my fandom. I'm going to woo in your face. I'm going to yell. I'm going to laugh because Miami beat Florida State and things are all right in the world and it's wonderful. And thank you for listening. Cam, you're the man, as always. I appreciate you joining. Congratulations and please come back soon, man. Definitely appreciate it, Joe. You guys have a good one. You too. There you have it, Mike. Huge win for Miami, 24-20 over Florida State. They break the streak, but at what cost? You know, Mark Walton gone for the year. We'll see how that affects the Canes down the stretch. Let's move on. Let's go back to Thursday night. The number 24 NC State Wolfpack, 39. The number 17 Louisville Cardinals, 25. You and I had this game nailed. Uh, We basically told people that NC State was going to win this game. Didn't really understand why they were underdogs, frankly. Uh, this stadium was rocking the whole night. This is a really fun game to watch. Uh, a lot of shots kind of taken back and forth. Um, I think the thing that surprised me the most about this game, Mike, is as much as we have defended Lamar Jackson you know, over the last year plus, especially as, as things took a turn for the worse last year at the end of the year for Louisville, we were sitting here saying, hey, like 
Lamar Jackson's stats don't look good here, and he took some sacks and such, but it's not that Lamar Jackson's playing poorly. He's just not getting helped. I think this is, this game is one of the first times, Mike, that I could tell you that the stats actually look great for Lamar, but I did not think he played a very good game. Really up and down, really uneven. Um, might be more of a testament to, again, like the team he's dealing with. <laughs> um, but there were some bad throws in there. Um, obviously, the one they forced late that turned into a pick six really sealed the game for NC State. Can't make that throw in that situation. But for Louisville as a whole, um, defensively, I thought they were throttled. NC State, they were fantastic on that side of the football all night long. I thought they played really well. Um, you look at the stats on paper, Ryan Finley, 20 of 31, 367, and a touchdown pass. Reggie Gillespie um, and Naheem Hines contributed on the ground, had three touchdowns combined. Naheem Hines had 102 yards rushing, which I thought was huge. Um, the receiving game, Harmon had 133 yards and six catches. Jalen Samuels, massive game, seven catches for 104 yards. And I thought NC State's defense played very well in this football game. That's a big reason why they ended up winning. I really like this NC State team. I think that a lot of fans and pundits were writing them off after that South Carolina loss early in the year. But I think when you look on the surface now and see how much better NC State's gotten over the last month or so, it's pretty apparent they are one of the better teams in the coastal or in the Atlantic Division this year, regardless of whether or not Florida State is what we thought they were, because obviously they have that injury with DeAndre Francois, and they're a completely different team. But I think overall, when looking at NC State, they're exactly who we thought they were going to be, and that's really encouraging if you're a NC State fan at this point in time. So should be a pretty strong uh, finish to the season for them. A lot of tough games remaining, but we'll have to see how they end up playing out. Yeah, this is definitely turning into a pretty special year for NC State fans, especially as it you know as it relates to the Dave Doran era. There, uh, like you said, huge game for Naeem Hines: eighteen carries, one hundred two yards, and, a, and two touchdowns. Uh, Reggie Gillespie: eight carries for thirty-one and a touchdown. Jalen Samuels had a huge day: seven catches for one hundred four yards. Uh, Ryan Finley was excellent: twenty for thirty-one, three sixty-seven, and a touchdown. Uh, NC State only turned the ball over one time. Louisville, on the other hand, uh, turns it over a couple times, um, which, you know, doesn't go great. But this is, yeah, like you said, I mean, going to be a special year, I think, for NC State. They are pretty firmly the second-best team in the ACC Atlantic at this point. Um, I think that they do have an outside shot at, you know, getting to a, a New Year's Six type of game. And if you if you beat Clemson and get into the ACC championship game, I mean, the sky's the limit. Uh, they get Clemson at home here in about a month uh, on November 4th. So there, there's a lot of potential here for NC State. This defense is playing much better than it was earlier in the year. Uh, the offense is really starting to click. They've got playmakers in a whole lot of different places, and they're starting to use them really, really well. Uh, credit Eli Drinkwitz, the offensive coordinator there at uh, NC State, for doing a really nice job. And uh, the Wolfpack really in good position here. The, the Cardinals, on the other hand, uh, I think they are, you know, what we thought they were at this point, if that's fair to say. Um, there's, there's a few teams on this schedule that are going to give them huge problems uh, offensively because of their limitations on the offensive line. Uh, and otherwise, I think they're going to just be able to outscore a lot of teams. Um, I, I'm very concerned about matchups coming up against such a Florida State or maybe even a Wake Forest Um I don't know. I'm curious to see where Louisville goes from here. I think there's some chance that they start to spiral out of, out of control a little bit. Um, obviously, a lot of drama around that athletic department in the last week or so that might lead to some you know, coaching issues and 
Lord knows how this thing ends, you know, with sitting at four and two right now. Um, but yeah, uh, good win for NC State, 39-25 over Louisville, and they uh, they firmly take control of the number two spot in the ACC Atlantic here. Uh, moving on, Mike, we got uh, several other games, and, and first of all, we I need you to sit down. Um, we need to have a, a very serious discussion here. Um, no, we don't. What, no, we don't. Mike, I w- look. I know that you've been wanting to put off this talk for a while. Um, I have. It's not the sex talk, you know, for what it's worth. Well, it doesn't have to be, but it could be. <laughs> uh, it'd, be I, it'd be better than the conversation we're about to have. That's for damn sure. Yeah, I think you'd rather have that one. Um, I, I hate to break it to you, Mike. I think Virginia might be decent. Oh, no. Virginia 28, Duke 21. Virginia's 4-1. and one, and Oh, man. They have now beaten Duke and Boise State and seem to maybe be like the fourth best team in the Coastal at the moment? Yeah, they are. You're right, unfortunately. Um, This hits close to home, to be honest with you. I mean, this really hurts. Literally pretty close to Blacksburg. Yeah. Um, (laughs) In-state and everything. Where should we start? Let's start with the running game. Uh, Jordan Ellis becoming a pretty good running back there for Virginia, Joey. Uh, 25 carries, 96 yards on the day. Pretty solid against a Duke rushing defense that entered the game as a pretty strong unit, all things considered. Kurt Benkert continues to play pretty well. 24-43, yards, three touchdowns in this football game. Did throw a couple of interceptions that could have cost him the game. All went for naught. Didn't end up really mattering. Real story in this game for me is the Virginia defense that continues to get really, really, really good and, you know, not really get much love as far as the ACC's defenses are concerned. I thought they did another nice job in this football game. Uh, Duke's offensive line struggled again uh, to protect Daniel Jones. I thought that was a big storyline in this football game. Daniel Jones finished with 14 of 42 passing for 142 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. You heard that right, Joey. 14 of 42 passing. He completed a third of his passes in this football game. I think it's Not fair to say good. that Daniel Jones for Heisman hype train is currently in a, a heap of flames on the side of the tracks. I would say so. Yeah. Um, not a good spot for Daniel Jones. Um, he's gone from 76% of his passes in week one to now only completing 33% of his passes in week six, and it's gone down incrementally each week, which is pretty scary. I don't know, man. I don't know where Duke goes from here. Um, this is a team that's pretty solid, but has been doing some things recently that concern me, particularly with their inability to protect Daniel Jones. Um, and the defense is doing as best as they can, but can't protect Daniel Jones. You can't keep your offense on the field. And if you can't keep your offense on the field, this Duke defense can only do so much. They're just limited by the amount of playmakers or lack thereof that they have at that side of the ball. So I have some serious concerns about Duke moving forward. I think they're a bowl team still. We'll get into that in a little bit, but some serious concerns here if you're a Duke fan. Um, it was looking really good through the first four games. Now we're starting to see it might have just been the caliber of opponent that they were playing. But, hey, man, this story is about Virginia. They're 4-1. and one. They have some winnable games here next three weeks. I foresee them making a bowl game at this point, um, something that we 
couldn't even come close to really anticipating at the start of the season. So big ups to them and Bronco Mendenhall on the turnaround. Yeah, I, I think it's important to note here, Virginia, so Kurt Benkert has looked better the last couple games. Um, he's done pretty well, really. They're not efficient on offense. Um, Benkert averaged less than five yards per attempt in this game. Uh, I think it was less than eight yards per completion, which is not particularly efficient, but at the end of the day, they're getting it done with defense. Um, Virginia's defense has been pretty pretty solid, uh, getting after passers and stuff. Now, again, a bit of a, a, a you know cause for concern that you know I, I don't know who the toughest team they've played so far yet is uh, S and P Plus ranking the highest ranked team that Virginia's played so far is Indiana, who's ranked 38th. Uh, Boise State, right behind that, is 39th. But looking ahead, I mean, they've got three more games coming right up at North Carolina, home against Boston College, and at Pittsburgh that we might only be a few weeks away, Mike, from talking about, and wait for it, 7-1 and one Virginia. Oh, no. And 7-1 and one in ranked Virginia at that point in time. I don't care what you think of their team and who they've played. Going from, you know, a 2-10 and 10 season to potentially 7-1 and one through eight games the following year, uh, that's ACC Coach of the Year territory. For Bronco Mendenhall, uh, maybe not going to the coach of the best team, but to the coach of a team that's solidly improving, as Calvin barks in approval in the background. Yeah, I gotta say, my dog is a huge uh, Bronco Mendenhall fan. It seems like um, that makes uh, one of us, I guess. Right? <laughs> is that? I think that's fair. Um, yeah. Yeah. For what it's worth, um, I, I think the big difference you're seeing in Virginia right now is a team that probably is maybe winning games as much as they're not losing them. Um, they're, they're going up against teams that are beatable, uh, that are, you know, something that they can handle at their caliber, and they're, they're getting it done. So credit, all credit is due to Virginia on that front. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall clearly coaching up the team versus last year. Uh, where they were not able to have nearly as much success. Um, again, I go back to S&P Plus. They're ranked 40th right now. They finished last year ranked 88th. Uh, that's a pretty huge jump. Um, so regardless of who they're playing and what they're doing, I mean, the fact that they've already won more games, I think, than they won last year really says something. That's um, a pretty impressive turnaround. And, and, again, I think we're going to be talking about 7-1 and one Virginia, and I think after that we're going to be talking about 7-5 and five Virginia, but that's fine. That's that's a huge jump, and that's bowl eligibility, which uh, a really impressive turnaround in Charlottesville. And if you asked any Virginia fan at the beginning of the year, they would take that. A five, I mean, improve by five wins, make a bowl game, and who knows what you do from there, maybe even win your bowl game. Uh, any Virginia fan would have signed up for that at the beginning of the year, that's for sure. I mean, depending on how much you're uh... – you're, you're really into Virginia football. You might've like given your firstborn for that before the season. So um, that is, I, I can't really understate, you know, that, how huge that is for that program. So uh, we'll keep tracking this as we go, Mike, but f- again, Virginia 28, Duke 21. Let's move on. Number two, Clemson 28, Wake Forest 14. Uh, this was kind of a wonky game here. Uh, so first of all, uh, John Walford doesn't play for Wake Forest at all. That kind of came out of nowhere. Um, Clemson goes up 28 nothing in this game, and then Kelly Bryant gets hurt. He leaves. Uh, so Hunter Johnson comes in in his relief. Uh, again, Clemson goes up 28 nothing, gives up a couple of touchdowns late, uh, finishes 28-14. So 
I, I texted you Saturday morning. This was my pick of the week, and I, I pretty much immediately regretted it after taking it. I, I was trying to think of if I could like lobby on Twitter to get this pick changed uh, in the days after I took it, but before the game kicked off. But I was looking at recent history in this series, and as much as Clemson is a far and away dominant program over what Wake Forest has to offer, they don't ever dominate the Demon Deacons in the way that they would need to to cover a 21-and-a-half point spread. And this kind of was a continuation of that. They let off the gas a little late. Um, but overall, I mean, it's you, you worry for Clemson. Does you know late-game injuries have you know another ramification uh, on your season as the quarterback goes down? It didn't look like the injury was all that serious to Kelly Bryant, but – Man, that would really suck if you're trying to replace your quarterback midseason due to just mismanagement of personnel late in the game. Yeah, I mean, all indications are at this point they anticipate on having Kelly Bryan on a short week. They play Syracuse this upcoming Friday, and we'll get to that game, of course, in the preview and keep you posted on that. But it looks like Kelly Bryant, at least they're hoping that he'll practice this week, which is a positive sign. As far as, you know, the John Wolford injury and what that meant for Wake Forest, um, obviously you would like to have a guy like Wolford on the field when he's playing as well as he has. Um, you know, maybe in past years we don't consider this a huge loss that, you know, you're starting Kendall Hinton instead. And, you know, to his credit, Kendall Hinton played quite well in this football game. Um, he completed 14 of 30 passes, not a great completion percentage. But he got the job done nonetheless. Um, 203 yards, two touchdowns, had 92 yards on the ground. But, you know, Clemson had this thing handily you know, in their back pocket. It was 28 to nothing heading into the fourth quarter. Hunter Johnson threw a touchdown pass in relief of Kelly Bryant. Offense for Clemson was outstanding, I thought, especially in the first half. Um, you know, Wake Forest got their stops as we kind of anticipated they would, but, you know, Clemson held on to the lead and it was kind of a death grip. Um, Wake Forest scored a couple times late to end up covering the spread, but a pretty convincing 28 to 14 win if there was any such thing for Clemson. They really dominated the game for the most part. And, you know, Wake Forest hung in there as best they could, but they just didn't have the athletes on offense as we predicted in our preview. So good win for Clemson, pretty sleepy win. You get out way in front and then just kind of coast from there. But, you know, you'll take it. You win the games you're supposed to, especially there in Death Valley. Um, they were never anticipating losing a game, you know, at home to a team like Wake Forest. And it was pretty apparent they knew that they had control of this one early and, you know, didn't really look back from there. So good win for Clemson and they'll move on now. Uh, to, you know, the rest of their ACC schedule with some a couple of tough games remaining. But, you know, they appear to be the clear favorite in the ACC, that's for sure. Clemson now goes to Syracuse on Friday night. Careful, that gets weird. Uh, and then has a bye week before taking on Georgia Tech. And that's something that they have in common with Wake Forest is that Wake Forest has a bye week before taking on Georgia Tech next. So um, they'll be played in my Yellow Jackets here in the near future for what that's worth. Uh, Clemson 28, Wake Forest 14. Moving on, Mike, your Hokies, number 16, Virginia Tech, 23, Boston College, 10. Uh, this was kind of an underwhelming performance, I think, from Virginia Tech. Uh, they, they go down by a field goal early, and then they coast for a while, you know, get the lead back, uh, give up a, a late touchdown to Boston College to kind of keep it interesting. But I think if you're, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you're probably hoping for a, a bit of a bigger win here. Yeah, I mean, another slow start for the offense, you know, rinse and repeat. It's kind of been the problem here all year for them, and it, it continued in this football game. They lost Cam Phillips, of course, their star receiver, early in the game to an ankle injury. It looks like a grade two ankle sprain at this point. 
lucky for the Hokies, he's going to be okay. And, of course, they have a bye week, so he has a couple weeks to, you know, get his ankle all healed up before they take on, you know, a duo of teams in Duke and UNC in the coming weeks, um, which they'll definitely need him for those games. You know, two conference opponents who have been kind of uneven but have pretty good defenses, at least in Duke's case. Um, North Carolina's defense, not so much. But, uh, yeah, Virginia Tech got out to a huge lead in this one. It was 20-3, to and then it was just kind of, you know, run the ball and get out of dodge. Trayvon McMillan, uh, nice, nice bounce-back game from him, running the football, had 88 yards and a touchdown on the ground. That was good to see after fumbling um, last week against Clemson in a really tough spot. We weren't sure what his status was going to be, but, you know, Fuente said, hey, we're going to lean on him. He's, you know, one of the big-time playmakers in our offense. We can't really go away from him. And, you know, he had a nice bounce-back game for the Hokies. With Cam Phillips out of the game, Sean Savoy, true freshman, having another fantastic game, uh, nine catches, 139 yards, and a touchdown. Um, also want to send condolences to his family because I guess his brother was shot and killed yesterday, which is, you know, an extremely tough situation. Um, in essence, you know, the bye week kind of fell at a good time so that he can take care of what he needs to take care of at home. But thoughts and prayers to his family, obviously, on his loss. But he has a very promising future in the Hokies offense. He showed that again um, on Saturday. And I think what it proves here for the Hokies here with Sean Savoy is that you know, he's going to be one of these guys that's going to be relied upon not only for the rest of this season as a second option to Cam Phillips, but down the line as a potential number one option when Cam Phillips graduates. So Sean Savoy having another nice game and putting together a nice little season. His numbers are actually starting to mirror those of Isaiah Ford when he was a freshman. And if he has even half of the you know career that Isaiah Ford had in his three years at Virginia Tech, I think Hokies fans will take it. So a uh, nice game for him. Another, you know, a good bounce-back game by the field goal kicker, Joey Sly. He was 3-for-3 three three on field goals, had struggled coming into the game, has kind of had an up-and-down season as a, you know, former All-ACC kicker. So good to see him get back on track in this one against BC. But pretty boring game. Uh, I thought the defense played well against a really bad Boston College offense. And, you know, the Hokies will now move on to the bye week, sitting here at 5-1, and one, which I think, other than an unlikely Clemson upset, is pretty much as good as you would have hoped for on paper heading into the season. Yeah, that's a, an absolutely tragic situation for Sean Savoy. Like you said, um, losing his brother like that, that is really brutal to deal with. Thoughts and prayers to his family uh, in a very trying time. And uh, just thankful for him that he's got a, a good family of, you know, uh, of teammates and coaches around him to kind of support him during this time. But uh, like you said, Mike, uh, Virginia Tech 23, Boston College 10 here. Um, we'll move on to... Notre Dame, number 21, the Fighting Irish, Notre Dame, 33, North Carolina, 10. Uh, this game went about as we expected again. Uh, Brandon Wimbush did not play in this game for Notre Dame. Uh, instead, you got Ian Book. He was fine. He had a couple of picks in there, but ultimately this was always going to be about the ground game for Notre Dame. Uh, Deion McIntosh and Josh Adams combined for 25 carries and well over 225 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, they just pounded North Carolina's defense in this game, as could be expected. I think probably the most noteworthy thing here, Mike, is that North, uh, Notre Dame just played a, an October game in North Carolina in a monsoon when they just didn't actually throw the ball 35 times. They only threw it 31, worth, worth noting. Smart decision there. It's almost like they learned from their mistakes from a year ago. Yeah, seems like maybe when the weather gets bad, you should try running the ball. Um, they ran it 57 times in this game for 341 and three touchdowns, so... Uh, that was really the, uh, the, the ultimate you know, reason for success here. Uh, North Carolina just continues to struggle this year, and I think you're just going to continue to see that. 
Uh, a lot of people are really starting to compare this to Georgia Tech in 2015, where they were replacing some starters on offense anyways, and then started to just have you know injuries pile up on both sides of the ball, and the whole thing went downhill very, very quickly. Um, seems like that's what's going on here for North Carolina. Um, it, it's going to be a rough season for them, but ultimately this is the kind of thing that ends up in, in much better seasons in 2018, and especially 2019, as guys – are getting some experience now that will really come in handy down the line. So it's going to be a rough year for the Tar Heels now, but over the next year to two years, you're going to see it pay off as uh, guys are getting valuable experience. It's going to come in handy later. Uh, one thing real quick, uh, the backup Ian Book, not better than the starter. Heard that on <laughs> one of our favorite college football podcasts, a solid verbal. Um, that was a question they had coming in. Ooh, is Ian Book going to be better than the starter? Uh, no. The answer is no. Objectively, but, no. Right. Um, of course, the hope is that he'll get there down the line and he will be as good as um, Brandon Wimbush, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Fighting Irish 33, North Carolina 10. Uh, last game, Mike, Syracuse 27, Pitt 24 in the fight for the first conference win. Uh, the Orange prevail at home. Um, this was an interesting game. Um, some weird personnel management by Pitt at the end of the game. We'll get to that here in a little while. Um Ultimately, Eric Dungy, have yourself a day, man. 33 of 49 for 365, two touchdowns, 12 carries for 48 yards and a touchdown. Future ACC Player of the Year, Eric Dungy, having say, a is day. Is that ACC Player of the Year day that I hear? Is that, is that what we got here? Having his ACC Player of the Year moment right there, which is kind of like a Heisman moment, but happens Not when you're cool. trying to get the first conference win and it's mid-October. <laughs> which also means your team really, really sucks. So, uh... Yeah, I mean, overall thoughts on this game other than Dungy playing well. Pitt's passing defense, not very good. Interesting offensive personnel decisions down the stretch by the Panthers. You know, to their, I mean, to their defense. I mean, some of it was kind of unforced. But, yeah, we'll get into that in a moment. Um, Syracuse outgains Pitt by about 150 yards here. Yeah, um, I mean... We knew this was going to be a rebuilding year for Pittsburgh, but it's becoming more and more unlikely they don't make a bowl game, Joey. Yeah, we're talking about two and four Pitt with some uh, tougher sledding coming up here in the future. So not looking great for the Panthers. NC State, Miami, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Virginia, and Pittsburgh, or and Duke, I'm sorry. Um, how many of those games are winnable? I mean, probably the Duke game, Virginia game. Is kind of winnable, but Virginia's better than we thought. And the North Carolina game is semi-winnable as well because North Carolina's not that good. But you're running out of time, Pittsburgh. Got to win four out of your final six to make a bowl game. Hmm. Probably not. I don't like their chances. I don't like their chances. Not looking good. Uh, this was a competitive game overall, Mike. It was tight at 10 at halftime. Um, it, it was 13 or 17-13 in the middle of the third quarter. Uh, Syracuse starts to pull away a little bit. It gets to 20-16 to in the fourth and then 27-16. Um, Pitt, Pitt scores a touchdown kind of in the middle of the fourth and then can't really finish the drill. It finishes a three-point deficit. Um, so Syracuse comes away winners. Um, I, I kind of can't figure out. I, I mean, Pitt struggled to score on drives that were lengthier in nature. Um, they had scoring drives of 54, 58, 51, and 32 yards. They also had a 75-yard drive in the fourth quarter. But unless they were winning the field position battle, I mean, they were not going to get points on the board in this game. So uh, that, that kind of kind of seems to stand to reason, you know, that's kind of what Pitt is this year, for better or worse. Um, 
Guess who was their uh, leading rusher in this game, Mike? And this is not a game of name that quadri. Oh, boy. It wasn't Jordan Whitehead again, was it? Ding, 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 ding. It oh, was man. Jordan. For the third straight game, Pitt was led in rushing yards by a defensive player. Is the defensive player better than the running backs? Let's play that game. That is that is not a very uh, – that's not a game that's going to translate to a whole lot of programs, but this one it might. Um, it will, yeah. That's, that's right. Jordan Whitehead, seven carries for 73 yards and a touchdown. Uh, next best in this game for Pitt, Quadri Allison, six carries for 28 yards and a touchdown. Jordan Whitehead, the best ball carrier for Pitt by almost 50 yards. He's like Jabril Peppers, except not as good. Yes, that is correct. Um, Quadri Henderson had a combined two touches for five yards. That's great. Um, you know, unless you want to include the uh, punt return, in which case he had uh, – Let's see, three touches for zero yards. So, yeah, not not really a great day for Pitt altogether. Um, they lost Max Brown to injury uh, late in the game. We don't know how bad that is yet. Hopefully not too bad because he seems like he's starting to find a bit of a rhythm, and that's about the best I got for Pitt. So Syracuse moves to 3-3, three and three, gets their first conference win. Pitt 2-4, and four, still looking for the first conference win, and – Again, some uh, rough sledding coming up, so we'll see if the Panthers are able to salvage bowl eligibility. Unlikely. Not looking good. No. Uh, Mike, we got a Go ACC moment of the week. Uh, this was uh, something we saw on Twitter floating around Saturday afternoon. Um, Notre Dame has backed up UNC all the way into the one-yard line. Back, you know, uh, Chaz Surratt taking a snap from his own goal line. Uh, feet in the end zone. He's in the shotgun. He's got a running back next to him. And then this happens. Yeah, and I can't tell if the most important part of that is the the play call here of trying to run the ball out of the shotgun from your own end zone or the fan reaction that they got, which is just pure misery. It is just regret of life altogether. Also you know, a close second or third, however you want to dice it, is the fact that the two Notre Dame defensive linemen were waiting for the quarterback or and or running back in the end zone. So as soon as, as, soon as Surratt handed the ball off, it was all over. Um, it was like, oh, you're just going to hand it to him and have us tackle him right here? Okay. I mean, that's cool. We're only standing like two and a half yards into your end zone, making this super easy for us. Um, play call was bad. Blocking was bad. Fan reaction was hysterical i loved it loved every second of it definitely the go acc moment of the week it's not really even close this week this was hysterical from from the moment the ball was snapped it was pure hysteria yeah pretty priceless fan reaction there really really questionable play calling there for unc uh mike we also got a brian van gordon memorial you tried award here (laughs) yeah we do uh remember that questionable personnel decision we were just talking about for Pittsburgh, yes. Surprisingly, right. yeah. they seem to do a whole lot of smart coaching things. So this one, oddly, not as smart. Really? They do that? They do smart coaching things? Sure. Okay. Well, for the purposes of emphasis, they do smart coaching things before. Um, not this time. So Pittsburgh's trying to drive down the field and beat Syracuse. They have Max Brown out of the game, Ben DiNucci loses a helmet, and then they burn true freshman quarterback Kenny Pickett's redshirt on one snap. Hmm. One completion, 13 yards. So on the last play of the game, 
They lose one quarterback to injury. They lose another quarterback because he lost his helmet. Yep. And so they burn someone's red shirt for that. Yeah. I mean, this can only mean that we're, we're due for some sweet Kenny Pickett highlights for the rest of the year, right, Mike? Uh, yeah. I mean, sure. at this point, why not play Kenny Pickett, right? Um, you just burned his red shirt. Obviously, you were out of field goal range against Syracuse, so you didn't kick the field goal that would have tied the game. So you burned the red shirt on Kenny Pickett instead because he gives you the best chance to win, which isn't a great chance to begin with before he's in the game. And now what? Might as well play Kenny Pickett, right? I guess so. And to be clear, Although, the, the thing that they haven't tried yet, Pickett's to my knowledge, yep. that might he might actually be the best quarterback on the team. Yeah. I mean, is the backup better than the starters? Well, I was going to say we know who the best defender is and also apparently who the best running back is. So why can't Jordan Whitehead be the best quarterback that Pitt has too? I mean, you never know. You tried to ward Kenny Pickett's redshirt. <laughs> Let's go. Nice, Pat Narduzzi. Yeah, not great. That that's They could have done a lot better there, and they just didn't. Yeah, not ideal. Uh, Mike, real quick, before we get out of here, one more thing I wanted to do. So we're kind of uh, – we're roughly at the midway point of the season here in the ACC. Uh, we, and this is obviously very um, uneven in terms of some teams have played six games, some teams have played four, and so it's – we're still varying levels of figuring out what certain teams are, but I want to take some inventory here and kind of revisit what teams we think are going to be bowl eligible um, and see just, you know, numbers wise, what are we looking at filling for the ACC's, uh, the ACC's quota in bowl games this fall? Right now I look at it, I've got Clemson, NC State, Florida State, Louisville, Wake Forest, that's five in the Atlantic. Uh, Syracuse is iffy. Uh, Miami, Georgia Tech, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and maybe Duke in the Coastal? That's exactly so what I have. Nine or ten? I hate to make this boring, but I completely agree with you. Um, I think a lot of people would point to Syracuse, for example, and say, oh, they're three and three. They can get to a bowl game. And then you look at their schedule, and they still have Clemson. They have Miami, they have Florida State, they have Louisville, and they have BC. And Wake Forest, for what that's worth. That's And Wake Forest. I, I apologize. I completely skipped over Wake Forest. That's so pretty brutal stretch. So we're trying to kick Wake Forest out of the conference. I skip over them on the schedule. Wake fans are screaming at me. Um, sorry, guys. Go Steam and Deeks. Good God. We are the number the one Wake Forest football podcast on the internet, by the way. Yeah, not not to get completely off the rails, but I was your biggest advocate last year, so everybody can go screw, I guess. But yeah, so they got yeah, – I guess it's, that wasn't for young years. But they have Clemson, they got Miami, they got Florida State, Wake Forest, Louisville, and BC. How many of those do they win? Hmm... I wouldn't be shocked if they won two of them. I could see Louisville being a team they could beat, especially with as questionable as Louisville's secondary can be. Um, I think the big concern with Syracuse is they might have blown their chance at bowl eligibility when they lost at home to Middle Tennessee State week yep. two. 
Yeah, I agree. And we thought that at the time. If you'll remember, we mentioned that. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, going to have a hard time making a bowl game now. And when you look at it, too, they have, I mean, Wake Forest, I guess, is a semi-winnable game, and BC. And then I agree with you. I mean, I think Louisville is the other one. And, you know, I don't feel great even about two of those three games. So, I don't know. Not looking good for Syracuse, but for the other teams that you mentioned, I think easily could easily see, you know, Clemson, NC State, Louisville, Florida State in a bowl game. Um Georgia Tech, Miami, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Duke at this point. But Pitt and North Carolina doesn't look good for them at all. But, you know, maybe Pitt gets hot down the stretch and wins a couple games that maybe they shouldn't, and then they're in too. I mean, we'll just have to see. I'd be a little surprised with Pitt. Um, Duke in particular has uh, a game left against Army. They could be one of those five and seven bull bids, I think. Um, I think you're probably talking about 10 to 11 teams from the conference getting into bowls again this year. Damn good, damn good season still. Yeah, not bad, um, especially with some of the names that are jumping up here and going to get there. Um, when you got teams like Pitt and North Carolina that aren't making bowls and you're still getting 10 and 11 bowl-eligible teams, I mean, that's pretty strong. And, and overall, I think the conference had a pretty slow start to the year in some out-of-conference games, but... I think it's held up pretty well here into October as other conferences have had some pretty major slip-ups here and there. So, um. On top of all that, you have Clemson looking like the best team in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Some want to put them second to Alabama. Alabama, as of now, with Florida State out of the top 25, they still don't have a top 25 win. Um, so that's something to continue to watch. I, I don't put a ton of stock into it, but if you want to put a ranking in week six of the regular season, that would be the feather in the cap at Clemson so to speak. So, uh, you know, it's a good look for the conference, that's for sure, especially when considering, like you mentioned, a couple teams that usually make bowl games that haven't or won't be um, in North Carolina and Duke. And then you still have teams jumping up and taking their spots, like a Virginia, like a Wake Forest, and making a bowl game and still making the conference look pretty good. Having that depth and then having Clemson at the top, makes it a pretty strong year for the ACC as we sit here halfway through the year. Yeah, we'll keep monitoring. Um, but, yeah, I just thought we'd do a little bit of a heat check here about halfway through on who's going to be going bowling and who might not be. Uh, Mike, you got to get out of here. You've got a, a, a sweet, schmoozy, businessy function to go to uh, that will remain unnamed, I, I assume, unless you want to name it, do, do your thing. Um, anything else before we do get out of here? Nah, I think we're all set, man, other than our generic plugs that we do. Uh Besides all that, I think we're good. Oh, hell yeah. It's time for some generic plugs. Uh, you guys can find us on Twitter. I'm at FDRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. I'll tweet out the uh, Go ACC moment of the week there at BC Podcast ACC on Twitter, by the way, so go check that out. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, on Google Play, on SoundCloud. Hit subscribe, rate, and review. Do all those cool things. Uh, you can send us an email with questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nobody sent us a bad reply all yet. I want to see one of those. So please uh, do your worst and send your bad reply all to uh, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Mike, where else can they find us on the social medias? You find all of our podcasts there, like our page. We do a bunch of cool stuff on there, like post our podcast, for example. So do that. Hit that like button. Always. DMs are open. Always open. Come get us on Facebook. Always. Yeah. Slide up in there. Uh... Mike, this has been fun. You want to come back and talk about week seven soon? 
Absolutely, buddy. Still from sunny San Diego. Hell yeah, looking forward to it. San Diego, I believe it's pronounced. Um, Yes, sir. Let me know if you see Ron Burgundy out there. Anyways. Will do. Until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. Thank you guys for listening. Talk to you again soon. Until then, go ACC. Go ACC.